Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, baby. Or if you're not a baby. We're big baby audience, though, with Inside Sports. They like to listen right before bed with a nice warm bottle. If that's where they get their milk. I don't know. I, just just ignore me. Uh all... Toronto leading Ottawa 14-9, two and a half minutes into the third quarter. That's in the Canadian Football League. Hockey tonight, second period. Jets up 2-0 on the Flames. Blues lead the Wild 3-0. Third period, Blue Jackets up 3-2 on the Red Wings. Rangers leading the Devils 5-1, and it's 2-2 Capitals and Bruins four minutes into the third. Baseball tonight, it's the National League wildcard game. It is the top of the third. It's St. Louis leading the L.A. Dodgers 1-0. So they, they, they've been playing for about 56 minutes. Yeah, they should be about a four-hour game. Pretty standard. Pretty standard. Oilers on this station tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show. Puck drop at 7. They're taking on a team from Vancouver known as the Canucks. And then on Friday, Elks at Bombers. 5 o'clock countdown to kickoff game at 6.30. Calling that game will be Morley Scott, one of the biggest, maybe the biggest Montreal Expos fan I know, checking in from Winnipeg. Hey, Morley. Hey, how are you, Rito? I'm doing very well. Yes, you are. Uh, I, like, I have a strong affinity for the yeah. Expos, but I feel like you're even more inclined to share, to, to regale us with yeah. tales of Expos history. Yeah, for sure. I had a dog named Expo once, so... Uh... I got, a, I got a framed uh, picture of Gary Carter from uh, from the Sporting News up on the wall in my office at home. I got a Gary Carter autographed bat, so got a couple of jerseys. So yeah, I'm I'm a big Expos fan. I think that's that's fair to say. I I was kind of it was kind of interesting because the Washington Nationals basically put the Blue Jays out of the playoffs by losing their game last week. And if they had a one, then they could have gone on to play the uh, the future Expos, possibly in the Tampa Bay Rays in the playoffs, right? So uh, the Expos are still being uh, being talked about. Uh, I'm kind of kind of a little uneasy about this uh, splitting teams thing between Tampa and Montreal oh. that's that's proposed. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. Yeah, where they'd share, uh, well, they'd have two home cities, right? Yeah, they're going to play uh, in uh, in Montreal in the second half of the season and in Tampa in the first half of the season, I guess. So uh, I, nothing official yet, but they're, they're apparently the plans are in the works and, and they're going to try it eventually. So we'll see. Did I they guess say if the- they would what they would call them though uh i do not know i would uh, yeah I, I i think they would still be the the rays i would think i'm i'm not sure i haven't i haven't gotten that far you know when they're in montreal everyone's going to be calling them the expos anyway right so right uh, I, i'm not a big fan of the idea but uh I, I guess if it's the first step to getting the team back then so be it they, they still need a stadium though they need an owner and they need a stadium just like 1969 when they had a franchise they they got the franchise and then they went out and got an owner in a stadium, right? So they, right. they kind of do it backwards in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, because they played in Jerry Park before they got the 
the big O, right? Yeah, for sure. In a little uh, a little rinky-dink park. And uh, all I can remember about watching games there was in the, uh, I think it was in the left field corner of the ballpark up over the fence, there was a swimming pool. And the big flies sometimes landed in the swimming pool. And there's always kids in the pool swimming around waiting for baseballs to land in there. So, you know, I, I realize that is highly unusual for a team to play home games in more than one city, especially separated by however many hundreds of miles Tampa and Montreal would be. But I do want to remind people of this, and I'm sure some of the audience would have uh, would be of a vintage to recall this. Don't forget, the original plan in 1972 was for this new hockey team in the World <laughs> Hockey Association to play its home games in Edmonton and Calgary. The team was called the Alberta Oilers, and that was the plan in the first season that they were going to split their home games between Edmonton and Calgary. That fell through, so they uh, they played all their games in the Edmonton Gardens, and then they said, okay, well, now we're the Edmonton Oilers. But that's why the first year uh, they were known as the Alberta Oilers because they were going to be in Edmonton and Calgary team, which I know seems completely absurd. Can't even <laughs> but, imagine it. Yeah, you can't even. For Edmonton and, Cal- Edmonton and Calgary, not just to be cheering for the same team, but sharing. Uh, the, the, I mean, there's probably examples maybe I'm thinking of. Uh, well, didn't the, um, I believe when I was a kid in the 80s, I believe Green Bay, the Packers would play two or three games a season in Milwaukee, but still that's not that far away. Yeah, that it's sounds not like that sounds yeah. familiar. I, I think it's happened, and and uh, you know it hasn't happened very often on purpose. Of course, the Blue Jays played in in Dunedin, sure. Buffalo, and Toronto this year, but that's uh, extenuating circumstances, of course, as well. It has happened uh, a few times, uh, but not to this extent. Not a not a fifty fifty split of games. That's for sure. Up until uh, I didn't realize it went on for this long. Up until nineteen ninety four, the Packers would play three games a season in Milwaukee. Hmm. Pretty much from starting in 19, oh, wow, going back to the 1930s, though some of those years it was only one or two games a year. Uh, anyway, where did we where did we start with this? I'm not sure. Who's your favorite expo of all time? Uh, it has to be Gary Carter. Gary Carter. Yeah. Um, and I liked, I, I don't know if you remember him or not, but I was, for whatever reason, and went on to be a, a radio commentator with the Cardinals, I think. I was always a big Rex Hudler fan for some reason. Oh. Really? I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what attracted me to him, but I always liked Rex Hudler for some reason. But uh, but uh, I I go back to the original days. Uh, you know, the Gary Carters, Andre Dawson, uh, Warren Cromarty. Uh, you know that that team, especially that team that was that was uh, good in '81 uh, for sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of my my wheelhouse right there. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking up Rex Hudler right now. I'm not sure what I he's, always uh, what I he's always remember. I, I I never liked the Blue Jays. I didn't like the Blue Jays when they came around because it it took the Expos off English TV, and they ended up having to watch the Expos games on French TV more so than on English TV because the Blue Jays seemed to get that that uh, Canadian market sewn up for some reason, and the Expos were maybe maybe once a week on English TV, but for the most part they're on French TV. So I had to have. Uh, have the game on and it turned the sound down and put some music on. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Forley Scott joining us tonight, uh, talking about, uh, well, we're talking about a bunch of stuff, but we're going to focus now on what Morley does for a living, and that is uh, cover the Edmonton Elks and do play-by-play for their games here on 630 Chet. Uh, they're going to Winnipeg. You're already there, obviously. Um, I don't know. When did you get there? Earlier today? 
Yeah, I got here. I flew in today. Yeah, I got here. Currently sitting in my hotel room working, watching uh, the football game on the iPad, the baseball game on the television, and doing a little work. So, yeah, they, uh, the Elks come in tomorrow, and uh, game time on Friday is going to be 6.30 Alberta time. Okay, so maybe this isn't totally fair to ask because you're just kind of getting settled in, but but I'll throw it to you anyway because there is a Jets preseason game. Is it, but I'm sure maybe you've seen a newspaper or looked online, is it like Jets preseason dominating or because the Bombers are so good? Do you get the sense that they're getting a lot of buzz there right now? Uh, it's a little of both, actually. I was I was uh, listening, uh, coming in from the airport, I was listening to our sister station here, CJOB, which uh, carries uh, the Jets and uh, and the Blue Bombers, and their sports in the afternoon was was 50-50, basically. I think the first time they, they led with the, with the Jets game tonight and the second time they led with the Bombers uh, and what's going on with them. And, of course, the big story around the Bombers is receiver Kenny Lawler and, and his uh, uh, charge of impaired driving earlier this week. So, uh, yeah, it is big. And I, I went out uh, walking around downtown to find some food for supper tonight, and there's a lot of Jets jerseys walking around in downtown Winnipeg tonight, right around 6.30 or so. So uh, the game's here, and you know, everybody's you know obviously jacked up about it. I just like just like they are in Edmonton, uh, happy to get back into the arena and go to some games. All right. So, I mean, the Elks at this point are uh, a beleaguered team. I think that's the correct usage of this word. Uh, certainly yep. the players are focusing on Friday's game and uh, trying to climb back in it. Uh, I mean, the schedule is incredibly tough. Are, are they making any significant uh, roster moves here? Anybody coming back from being injured? What's going on? Trevor Harris is going to come back. That's the biggest move uh, they're going to make. And looks like David Beard will return as well. So uh, Harris back as the starting quarterback after missing two games, not dressed for two games due to injury and, and was not himself in the second half of the game against uh, Calgary in the rematch game. So, so he returns to the lineup on Friday night. David Beard, who missed last week's game due to COVID protocols, is back at center as well. Uh, and then uh, today, uh, we might have some changes forced upon him. We'll have to wait and see how serious it is or not. Uh, but today, a couple of starters missed practice. Mike Moore uh, did not practice on the defensive line because of what the team says is a toe injury and an illness. And Sir Vincent Rogers, left tackle on the O-line, uh, didn't practice today as well because of a back injury. So we'll see what their status is tomorrow when the depth chart comes out and if they'll be able to be in the lineup or not on Friday night. Okay, so I, I almost feel bad asking you this question this way. But we're doing a talk show and you're experienced, so you'll know what I'm getting at. Though I, you're probably going to laugh. How do they beat the Bombers? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, <laughs> They're so good bombers, and the Elks are struggling, right? You know what? Uh, the easy answer is get more points, right? That's well, the easy answer. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, they. you know what? Go back a couple of weeks when they played, what was it, September 18th, They played uh, these two teams played in Edmonton. And that game uh, was with Taylor Cornelius at quarterback. And after getting down 14 nothing, uh, the Elks were able to battle back. They actually took the lead in the game for a while. And then Cornelius had some rookie things happen to him, right? He threw the pick six and he fumbled the football in the goal line. And uh, I think it was Big Hill picked it up and, and went into the end zone for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, the game changed on a dime with those with those two uh, with those two turnovers for touchdowns. So, um, 
they feel they can play with them. They had, they feel they had Winnipeg, and they did really for parts of that game have Winnipeg on their heels, and they feel they can do that again, and they can sustain it over a longer period of time. Uh, a lot of that comes from the fact that Trevor Harris will be back in the lineup and playing at quarterback. So uh, the Bombers aren't unbeatable. I mean, uh, Toronto beat them earlier this year. Uh, they've had some close games uh, throughout the year. Uh, don't get me wrong; they're a they're a tremendous football team. They do a lot of things correctly. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Zach Kolaris is is having he's back on track to where he was back in what was it 14 and 15 where he was on track to be the MOP before he ripped his knee up in that game against Edmonton so yeah they they do a lot of things right their defense has a couple of monsters on the defensive line one in particular uh with the guy everyone just calls Willie right Uh, everybody knows who he is so uh it's it's uh it's a good football team and and they're gonna have to really take advantage of the opportunities to get they're gonna have to execute which is a problem they've had a lot and and for one thing they're gonna have to have a better start uh, in the game they got down 14 nothing against the winnipeg and and you're, you're not going to come back two times against winnipeg down down 14 nothing winnipeg is so good with the lead you know they're five and oh after when they lead at half uh, they're they're six and oh when they lead after three quarters so you got to get something in the bank early against winnipeg to get them back on their heels a bit well and look the elks have been because because i thought earlier in the season the defense had a couple of you know pretty good outings uh, and then they kind of had a couple okay outings and now I think they've kind of sunk down and are, are struggling with the offense and the special teams you know Morley, you and I've been you, you you and I've been doing this a while and you know we've always interviewed players and coaches and like they're usually pretty honest about when a player or a part of a team is struggling but they always will act like or say that they're close to doing better whether they believe it or not I got the sense, though, like listening to the Terry Eisler clips and and some Elizondo stuff this week, and and, and you're there, so correct me (laughs) if I'm wrong, but I feel like now with the Elk special teams, they're just kind of like saying like, yeah, like we're we're pretty bad. Like we we got a lot lot of work. Like I'm not hearing a lot of like, oh, we're so close to getting a return. Like am am I wrong or is it like just a really frustrated group that's still really searching here? Yeah, extremely frustrated. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, they have not been very good on special teams all season long. I was just looking at some stats, Reed, and uh, other teams against the Elks, uh, they're getting, they're averaging 17 yards on punt returns. 17 oh. yards, and, and the Elks are averaging seven uh, per punt return. So if you punt eight times a game, that's an 80-yard dip swing in field position, right? That's almost a football field. So, yeah, they, they they haven't been able to stop the returns very well. They haven't been able to generate big returns. They haven't had one big play return this year. The longest punt return they've had, I think, is 21 yards. Uh, they just they just haven't been able to generate it. And I don't know what it is because Terry Williams is a good, good kick returner. We've seen him in this league for three years with Calgary, and he returned the football at a, at a pretty good pace. He was he was very good at it, but he hasn't been able to get any traction in, at his time uh, as as a member of the Edmonton Elks. So uh, I I don't know what it is if it's systems if it's it's obviously you know protection it, it doesn't fall all on the returner that's for sure they've tried multiple returners uh, this year uh, you know they had Ernest Edwards in there uh, for a couple of games as well and he was the same thing not able to get anything going so obviously there's something that's not working and they got to figure it out because you need 
the special teams to contribute. You know, in the CFL, especially with three downs, right? You, the special teams are on the field so much more. You have to get some help from your special teams. You have to get big plays. You have to flip the field. You got to get the odd touchdown. I mean, the Elks have given up a couple of kick return touchdowns this year. You, you've got to get special teams to help you out. And so far, that hasn't happened this year. Yeah, it's been it's been really tough watching that. All right, well, enjoy the evening in Winnipeg, Morley. Be careful around Portage and Maine. See if I were doing uh, stand up in Winnipeg, that'd be a big cheer right now. But I'm not. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Reed. I already got the chain on my door at my hotel room, so I won't <laughs> I won't be seeing Portage and Maine unless it's through the window tonight. All right, talk to you later, Morley. <laughs> See you, Reed. That's Morley Scott, play by play voice for the Edmonton Elks here on six thirty, Chet. Is that the most famous intersection in Canada? I guess. Inside Sports on Chet is coming right back. Rex Hudler. Rex Hudler. One of Morley Scott's all-time favorite baseball players. I did not know that, nor did I expect it to be revealed on Inside Sports tonight. But that was fun. What do we have going on here? It is the bottom of the third. The Cardinals lead the Dodgers 1-0. The Dodgers have the bases loaded with one out. So they're going to try to push a couple across here and jump into the lead. Of course, we will keep you updated on that game. Football tonight. Now the Argos starting to pull away from Ottawa. 21-9 with four and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Argos leading the Red Blacks. Randy Mitten, former NHL linesman. This is going to be great. He's coming up after the 7.30 news and weather. Talk to you in a couple minutes, folks. The Dodgers unable to score with the bases loaded. So now into the top of the fourth, the Cardinals continue to lead at one nothing in the National League wildcard game. Argo is just crushing the Red Blacks now. They've exploded in the third quarter. It's 34-9 for the Argos uh, right near the end of the third quarter. We'll keep you updated on that one. Hockey scoreboard 2-2, Flames and Jets in the second period. Also in the second period, Blues up 3-1 on the Wild. The Blue Jackets have beaten the Red Wings 4-2. Two minutes left. Rangers up 6-2 on the Devils and two and a half left, 3-3 Capitals and Bruins. Oil Kings in Lethbridge. It is scoreless with about two and a half minutes left in the first period there. Oil Kings 1-1 one and one on the young season so far. Oilers on Ched tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show game at 7 as they take on Vancouver. And then the Elks game on Friday, 5 o'clock countdown to kickoff. Kickoff at 6.30 as the Elks play in Winnipeg. I am pleased to welcome to Inside Sports a gentleman who, if you factor in regular season playoffs, preseason games, and a couple of all-star games, was a linesman for over 2,300 contests in the National Hockey League. Randy Mitten checks in tonight. Hey, Randy, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hi, Reed. I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. It's cool to have you on the show. Uh, I know you guys have, uh, you and I have talked uh, a couple times in the past about uh, trying to find a good time to get you on the show. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we found something here that uh, worked for everybody. Before we uh, dive into the uh, the hockey stuff, uh, let people know what you're up to these days. 
Well, I'm retired. I uh, have six grandchildren. Uh, married 48 years. Lovely wife, Maureen. She's probably listening. Um, go away in the winter to uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for three months and play a little golf, and that's about it. Okay, well, uh, you've earned it after uh, after all those years. And you're and where are you living? Just south of Edmonton. I live in Leduc. Oh, Leduc. And, oh, well, as that's... a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, today I was planting uh, signs for the mayor of Leduc, uh, re-elect Bob Young. Okay, so you're you're <laughs> out involved in the civic election as well. Okay, good stuff. Uh, well, again, thanks for checking in. This is this is cool to have you on the show. Do you still? Now you mentioned you go to Mexico for some of the winter. Do you still watch uh, a, a lot of hockey? And when you do watch a game, are are, are you paying more attention to the linesman than the puck? Or <laughs> tell me about that. <laughs> well, uh, we get together with a group of guys. Although uh, the COVID has sort of put that in. Uh, back burner for a while but we get uh, together with a group of guys and we watch the hockey games um actually i just watch the hockey game i don't watch the officials too much and uh, when there's uh, a call that the fellows don't like they sure certainly let me know <laughs> yeah, now, of course. And, I'm not, and i'm not even there right yeah it's always the it's all, they always find a way to blame the guy in the stripes for sure what do you think <laughs> of some of the changes with the um with the offside challenge has has been a big one. I mean, some of the other ones relate more to referee decisions. The offside challenge is one for the linesman. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think it's good. I mean, you don't want a goal scored, uh, obviously, that shouldn't count. However, a couple of years ago, we were watching a, a hockey game, and it took nine minutes to decide whether it was a goal or not. And I think that they've changed the rule a little bit where the, the goal line goes all the way to the ceiling now. So... Uh, if a player's skate is in the air and it's contacting that line that goes to the ceiling, then uh, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's it's you can't have a goal scored when it's offside. Yeah, that, I think that's the one though that bugs me and a lot of people is that if you can't tell after a couple of minutes, do you need to keep <laughs> rewinding the video over and over again, right? But yeah, yeah and, I, I, and I I get it. Yeah. I've kind of come around on it. I didn't like it a lot at first, but now yeah. and now I get it. And I like they've changed the rule, like you said, that the uh, the, the blue line goes all the way in, into the sky. Uh, I believe you were born in the Maritimes. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your your journey to Alberta and into the world of uh, officiating. I, I always like these stories yeah. because it's uh, you know it can it can be a bit of a tough path, especially if you start doing it while you're younger. Yeah, I uh, I was born in New Brunswick, and uh, my dad was in the service, and we moved to uh, Calgary when I was four years old, and started playing hockey like every other kid on the outdoor rinks in those days. And I remember my dad was my coach in Bantam, and everything in our house was, you know, Saturday night NHL, and and uh, he said to me at that time. He says, you know, you're never going to be in the NHL. And I I think I cried like a baby. And um, However, I started uh, uh, officiating. I still played hockey until I was 18. And after Midget in those days, they had uh, two years where you play a, a league called Juvenile. And that's if you didn't want to or couldn't play junior. And I played in that. And at the same time, I started officiating when I was 15 in the Calgary Officials Association, and they 
NHL had a NHL sponsored um, referee school in Banff that I started to attend. And, uh, you know, I, uh, in those days, uh, most of the officials or a lot of the officials were older fellows and the younger fellow, that's what the NHL were looking for. And I go to these referee schools and then they, through that, they placed me in the um, Western Hockey League. And I did that when I was 20 for one year and they recognized all my talent. I'm just kidding. And uh, <laughs> then I went to uh, NHL rookie camp and was fortunate that in 1972, uh, was expansion um, in the NHL, expansion in the American Hockey League, and the WHA was starting. So they had a whole bunch of positions to fill. Okay. So... What was the travel like for a linesman? I mean, we often talk about the players and some, you know, four games and six nights back to backs or, or, or whatever. Did you have to get used to that as a linesman or how grueling was it at times? Well, we did. And uh, it's changed over the era that I was in. I was in from 72 until 2004. And in 72, uh, you moved to Toronto and I lived there in the Toronto area for, I think, seven years. And you went to all of the cities equally. And you you could, the players aren't, through the Players Association, you can't do it. But we often did four games in four nights. And you'd, in my first year, I was in uh, basically in the, Amer- I was all in the American Hockey League and a little bit in the Central Hockey League. And I think I did 96 games. And you're, so you're traveling to a different city. Yeah. And did you also work in the off-season, I'm wondering? I did. Uh, In uh, Ontario, when I was there, I worked with another official. His name was Terry Pierce. He was from from Edmonton. And he had a um, small construction company. He was a bricklayer, and I was his helper. So we slugged mud and bricks and did jobs. Wow, amazing. Okay, Randy Mitten, former NHL linesman, lives in Leduc now, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. You, I, We're not going to have time to cover off all your career highlights, but <laughs> I, I want to hit on some. Let's go back to a day you may still be warming up from, Randy. November twenty second, yeah. 2003, the Heritage Classic at Commonwealth Stadium. How cold yeah. were you? <laughs> uh, I was I was cold, but I was dressed for it. I, I didn't wear a helmet, so I... I found a little NHL crest and I put it on a black toque and that's what I wore. Uh, two of the officials, um, uh, Dan Marwali and uh, Kevin Pollock, uh, they got frostbite on their toes and it was very cold. I, uh, Andy Van Helleman was the referee, at, the referee in chief at that time and he asked me if I would do both games. and. What, what he didn't know is I had been injured and I was doing rehab because I really wanted to do that outdoor game. And if I didn't get the rehab, I wasn't. So I, he wanted me to do both games, and I don't think I could have at that time, but it was very cold. I think it ended up at 23 below zero. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cold, and obviously it was uh, not in the, in the daylight because it gets dark pretty early at that time of year. I mean, I, I've talked to players about that day. 
But I, I want to get your perspective. I mean, you're there, and uh, you've, you've probably been to Commonwealth Stadium for football, and now all of a sudden you're right down there, and there's this hockey game being played, and there's over 50,000 fans. Like, did you, t- did, you, did you have time to sort of take in the, the spectacle, even though you, you, you're, you're working or, or something before the game where you got to soak it in a little bit? You know, you really didn't. And and even like the whole career, it was your job. And although you were, inv- you were involved in it and, you, you know, trying so hard to do a good job, and that's just me. Maybe some guys would enjoy it a little bit more, but uh, just my personality, I, I took things pretty seriously. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, I was so happy to have done it. And, uh, you know, you, you, when you're going through those things, you don't think how special it might be, but it is pretty special. Yeah. Randy Mitten joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former NHL linesman. The 1994 Stanley Cup final, to me anyway, is w- w- the most, maybe the most memorable I've watched. If, if I, you know, factor out, obviously, years I might have really been cheering for somebody. You had the storyline with the Rangers trying to break the drought. You had the uh, underdog Canucks. Uh, trying to win it and it you know the Rangers looked like they had it the Canucks rallied to force game seven uh, and you worked game seven in Madison Square Garden <laughs> which you actually know, first... I, I did I didn't work game seven oh, I thought you uh, did game seven I'm sorry no no worries uh what so just uh, as a point back then four referees and four linesmen worked the Stanley Cup finals and I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to only do it once uh so that means you're in the top four in the whole league. And there was lots of guys like Ray Scampanello, for example. I think Ray did 19 or 20 Stanley Cup finals. I wasn't quite as good as him. But I did, in that series, I get, did games one, three, five. The other two linesmen uh, did two, four, and six. And then they took the, the two best linesmen uh, and worked the game seven. I believe it was uh, Gerard Goche and Ray Scampanello. Okay, but still, to be selected, and then, like I said, to work a series with all that hype, and I know, you know, as, a, as an official, maybe you try not to get caught up in that, but a pretty, pretty memorable series nonetheless. Well, it was, and like I said, I worked uh, game uh, one, three, and five. In game five, there was a disputed offside, and it, it was like the first goal of the game, I think. And I believe Vancouver ended up winning it 7-2, but they thought that a call that I made, I actually blew the whistle and they shot the puck, the goalie, uh, you know, let up and the puck went in the net and they were all over me. But uh, yeah, and that sort of followed me for a while. <laughs> I wish they had I had the better replay back then, so I still think I think, well, I, I think you made the right call, and full marks to the Canucks for winning that game on the road to keep the, the series alive. All right, so since since you worked the Lions, I, I got to ask you about some of the fighters you might have interacted with. Um, who, who do you, First of all, who do you think the toughest guy was from your stretch of over 30 years working in the NHL? Who do you think the top fighter was? Well, I mean... I, uh, I'm on this uh, website where all the all of the fights get sent to you, right? From the right. old days and the new days, and I mean there was lots of good fighters, but I mean Dave Brown was obviously a very good fighter, and and uh, Marty McSorley, and you know Bob Probert. Um, I mean one of the fellows that 
was a very good fighter was Clark Gillies, but he was also a 50-goal scorer, right, at, at one point in his career. So uh, he was very, very tough, a very big man, and, but he just didn't want to fight. But when he did fight, he, was, he, he won most of his fighting. All right. Who, so when you go in to break up a fight, what are you thinking? And I know players respect linesmen and officials, but they might be in the middle of something that's making them really mad. Uh, I mean, you, you must have you taken an elbow or a fist inadvertently along the way. Oh, I, I did. Uh, as a matter of fact, a game in Winnipeg, and I'm not sure what year it would be. I'm guessing it would be in the early 90s. Uh, Gary Howitt, who played for the Islanders then, um, I was told there was a fight, and I was holding on. It was a goalie that he was, the other uh, player was mad at. The other linesman sort of released it and his guy a little bit, and Howitt came, and he, he hit me, and he knocked me out. He uh, broke my jaw, broke my jaw so bad that it was bleeding through the, uh, through the teeth, and uh, I, so they took me over to the bench, and this is uh, them telling me the story later. But Ron Hogarth was the referee, and I said I'm okay, and they wiped the the blood off my face, and we started playing. I was standing on the blue line, and the puck was something like six feet offside, and Hogarth was laughing so loud or so hard he couldn't blow his whistle. They almost scored, and I was just standing there. I was still out of it, I think. So oh my goodness. Uh, it was a uh, Christmas Christmas dinner through a, a straw and uh, teeth wired together. All right. So, you know, linesmen then, they, they there's a fight. They got to escort one, the guys to the penalty box, or sometimes there's a penalty and a player might not be happy about a hook or a hold, and sometimes the linesmen got to get in there and get him away from the ref and make sure he goes into the box. Were you a guy to... How would you defuse a situation if you had to deal with an angry player? What was your approach? Well, even if he got the heck kicked out of himself, I would tell him, geez, you won that one. You got a few good ones in or whatever. And then they're looking at you. Okay, yeah, maybe I did. Well, you didn't. But And that was sort of my way. And I always used to, uh, and everyone did, but all linesmen, you just hang on to their, the back of their jersey and you could control them, you know, fairly well. If they really wanted to go, they're gone. And I was... Uh, Five foot eleven, and I weighed 175 pounds. So if somebody really wanted to get away that badly, I think they probably could. All right, Randy, I'll I'll close here. This has been awesome to have you on the show. We'll have to do this again. This has been a great chat. You know, the one thing I I, I hear from from doing this show for several years is, uh, you know, in minor sports, whether it's hockey, soccer, basketball, whatever, is that, you know, it's it's hard to keep young officials in the game because it can be a demanding schedule you can sort of face abuse from parents or coaches or players uh or you know just other things happen in life and get in the way when you know you're a teen and in your early 20s what would you say to uh to a young guy or gal who's you know kind of on the road to officiating and is wondering if they want to make it a career what, what would you say to that person well the first thing i'd say is uh Get all the schooling you can because there's lots of officials in the NHL that have degrees and uh, officiating now, they're hiring in the NHL at older ages after they've, uh, you know, started their life and started their careers 
or different careers, and then they're still into officiating. I would just say stay in school, work hard, try to be the best you can, because the NHL recognizes they want smart people. They uh, not that not that uh, someone that doesn't go to university can't be smart, but just work hard and uh, be available. Well, Randy, I'm glad you were available for this segment. I, I, I wish you all the best here. It sounds like you're loving life. Uh, enjoy the the trip to Mexico whenever you go. We'll have to try to wrangle, wrangle you later in the season for another interview, man. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks for having me. We'll talk to you later. Right on. That is Randy Mitten checking in tonight, living in Leduc. Worked, uh, like I said, if you factor in regular season playoffs, exhibition games, couple of all-star games, over 2,300 games in the NHL as a linesman over 32 years. That that was great stuff to catch up with Randy. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Okay, folks, now 1-1 one, one in the fifth between the Cardinals and the Dodgers, top of the fifth in the NL wildcard game. Six and a half left in the fourth quarter in Toronto. Argos cruising up 35-16 on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Capitals beat the Bruins 4-3 in overtime. Rangers knock off the Devils 6-2. Blue Jackets over the wings 4-2. Blues lead the Wild 3-1 after two. Flames and Jets 2-2 after two. Kings and Ducks still to come. Oilers coverage starts at 5.30 tomorrow with the face-off show. Games at 7. They're going to play the Canucks. Don't forget Bob Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. You heard from Randy Mitten, Morley Scott, and Arden Zwelling tonight. Thanks to you for tuning in. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. My name's Reed. Take care. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.